Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Right now on Fast, the mega quarter for Meta. The stock popping after hours on a double-digit jump in revenue and optimistic guidance will go inside the numbers straight ahead. Plus, the Fed raises rates to its highest level in 22 years. And Chair Powell says decisions will now be made on a meeting-by-meeting basis. The Dow eking out again, bringing its winning streak to lucky 13. And has Netflix reached a break point? One of our traders feels like the stock is now too hot to handle for his portfolio. He will explain why. Then later, we're riding the rails with Union Pacific, taking flight with Boeing and cracking open the results at Coke. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, Guy Adami, and with us for the hour, Michael Katopoulos from Richard Bernstein Advisors. Welcome, Michael. We start off with Meta's huge revenue beat, the social media giant reporting double-digit growth for the first time since late 2021. The conference call just getting started. CNBC's Julia Borson is listening in, has all the details. Julia. Well, Melissa, MetaShare is up about 5% after beating expectations across the board, reporting 11% revenue growth. That number is key because analysts expected 8% revenue growth, and last quarter, the revenue growth was just 3%. Now, furthering this growth story, the company guided to better than accelerated, accelerate, better than expected, accelerating revenue growth in the third quarter. I just spoke to CFO Susan Lee, who told me that these results reflect solid execution across Meta's family of apps, also better monetization of reels. Now, the company did raise its 2023 expense guidance, due in part to a legal charge, but Lee telling me that in this, quote, year of efficiency, they have made very good progress on the company's cost structure, but there are a number of factors that will drive expenses higher in 2024, including higher infrastructure costs, growth of payroll expenses as they hire more higher cost technical roles, and, of course, the metaverse. There are Forecasting operating losses at Reality Labs will increase meaningfully year over year due to ongoing product development efforts in augmented reality and virtual reality. We will be listening for more on this from CEO Mark Zuckerberg on the call, which is kicking off now. And I'll be talking about all of this and more with Meta's CFO, Susan Lee. That's coming up in a first on CNBC interview, actually her first interview since taking on that CFO role. That's tomorrow in the 11 a.m. Eastern hour. Melissa? Julia, in all that time, you did not mention AI. So where well, does that factor a- in in terms of the accelerating <laughs> revenue? Well, what, what Mark Zuckerberg, I bet, will say is that they've been investing in AI for a very long time. AI costs, actually, I, 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 AI costs are one of the factors that are going to be driving their infrastructure costs higher. So they're investing in all that computing power that it takes to have AI. They've also talked about how deploying AI is going to make their ads um, better for, for their brands. And so it's going to, AI is going to effectively make ads more efficient, um, better able to target and send the right messages to the right people, and then also make it easier to measure the impact of those ads. So AI is one of these things that they're going to have this chatbot that I think Mark Zuckerberg's going to be talking about on the call, but also ultimately um, just more tools for advertisers to make the platform more efficient. All right, Julia, thanks. Julia Borson. We sat here on this desk 24 mm. hours ago. We got alphabet earnings. There was cautious optimism surrounding what Meta would report. Here we have it, Guy. 
Yeah, and their core business continues to crush without question. It's interesting. All the things that Julia just talked about, the cost, reality labs, two years ago when the stock was making all-time high, July of 2021, that's what got the stock cascading from 380-something down to $88. Now, seemingly a bit more palatable. I think they've gotten their core business back in line. The quarter's fine. There's really nothing not to like. The question is, are you getting concerned again that there seems to be this spend coming? I'll say this. Typically, when a stock goes from 90 to 310, wherever it is now, 250% move, you'd say too much, too fast. I think in Meta and Facebook's case, it's a little bit different because you could argue that that was a complete, you know, just an, an, a, some anomaly the down 90. there. Yeah. And now here we yeah, are now. So valuation at 21 times next year's numbers is still actually pretty compelling. Yeah. Grasso. It, it's up 43 percent or so in the last three months, 153 percent year to date. This is so I, I don't want to say that I'll, I'll take the other side, but I think you are hitting a wall. This was because of efficiencies. Um, layoffs, pulling back from metaverse spend. No one knew what metaverse was. Now everyone's excited about it because they think it's AI. You don't know whether it's AI, whether it's metaverse, or it's, it's all of the above. But at this point, I think you've got to step back, see where the smoke clears, mm-hmm. and see where the investment goes. But it wasn't all just efficiencies. I and mean, we are seeing an inflection when it comes to ad spend. We heard that from Alphabet. But what got what that got them going? The the tip of the iceberg was let's let's lay off a little. We're going to back off that ten billion dollar mm-hmm. number on the metaverse spend, mm-hmm. and people started to say, oh, okay, that's where we're going here. And then, of course, you had the iOS privacy concerns that subsided a little bit. It was a host of everything. Okay, I, I get that the gains were jump started by this year of efficiency um, theme, Tim. But all the companies are in a year of efficiency. I mean, if you take a look at Alphabet, Alphabet was also cutting costs. They were laying, I mean, they're doing their own job cuts. They're sort of rationalizing their real estate footprint. I don't mean to do a side-by-side comparison, but we're talking about companies with similar PEs at this point. And so what do you think of the meta story? Yeah, I, I like the meta story. I'm long the meta story. And, and so we went from the year of efficiency to at 18 and percent EPS growth. It's it's the year of growth. And, and, and I don't know that it's going to be the year of growth. And I, I think we we have to ask a lot of questions about uh, how excited uh, should we really be about threads? You know, I don't know about that, but but reels yeah, very real. And, and in terms of the AI implications and the addressable market growth for reels and what it means for Facebook, I actually think that the, the growthier side of 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 the multiple, and there really isn't one in in Facebook Meta. Sorry, I don't know what we're. Uh, I just almost Facebooked them, um, and there was a time I said I would never Meta them. But Meta uh, has the best peg ratio of any major company in the world. I mean, this is basically at least based upon these numbers. It's growing at you know with a peg of one time. So EPS growth around 18 times, a multiple around 18 times. And the question is, how sustainable is this? I will say, uh, I, I think I pointed out that I think the media and ad kind of spend companies were were assaulted first and questions were asked later as we came out of the uh, the early rounds of the Fed and fears on cyclicality. What we've seen with everyone other than, you know, Disney, which has got different issues, but certainly with Netflix, uh, certainly with 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 Meta, certainly with Google, is that these companies are actually seeing positive cyclicality in terms of their core businesses. So um, I think the comps were very easy here. I don't think you get carried away, um, but I think you stay here. No question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and, and I don't want to change the subject. I'm not changing the subject. Microsoft, on its earnings, 
was down almost 4% in today's session, Guy. And so there is not this sort of just fervor into big tech. No. Look past the blemishes of the earnings season. There is sort of a this is what we have. In, you know, within that framework, we do have this gain in meta after hours. Which makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that's encouraging, actually. Yes, you want to exactly. see that, right? There's just not this people just blindly buying everything on the back of dot-com type of thing like we've seen historically. And I get it. Microsoft should have been down. I think it could continue to go down. But in terms of uh, Facebook, and, you know, you talk about efficiencies. We'll talk about ARPUs real quick. Does Tim want to chime in? Because that's typically when his turn to Tim. <laughs> Yeah. Just to sort of, Tish, you know, spoke set French. The t- remember, in the, remember in the Adams family when every time, uh, yeah, Morticia spoke French? So every French. time we bring yeah, up Arpu, anyway. it's a, you know, it's, it's a thing for Tim. But listen, yeah. if you look at it in U.S. and Canada, which is their biggest region by far, $53.5. I mean, that's a year ago was $50.25, but it's across a swath. Europe was better. Asia Pacific was better. Mm-hmm. rest of the world was better. It means they're running their business more efficiently. The caveat being, if they're going to start doing the spend again, if this reality labs is going to cut into things, it might concern people. Right now, they're getting a pass. All right. Let's get to the other big story of the day as uh, MetaShares approach after-hour session highs here. Uh, the Fed raising rates by another quarter point to its highest level since 2001. Stocks initially rallied after Chair Powell suggested there may not be another hike in September, but closed well off the highs. The Dow, though, did eke out 13 straight days of gains, its longest winning streak since 1987. Let's get to Steve Leesman, who's got all the details out of the central bank. Steve. Hey, Melissa, yeah, the Federal Reserve, after that one meeting pause, was back at it again, raising rates in July, increasing the funds rate by 25 bips uh, to a new range of five and a quarter to five and a half percent is the highest level in 22 years, as expected. And Fed Chair Jay Powell in his press conference did not provide very much guidance at all as to whether the Fed is done or whether it has more work to do. I would say it is certainly possible that we would raise funds again at the September meeting if the data warranted. And I would also say it's possible that we would choose to hold steady at that meeting. We're going to be making careful assessments, as I said, meeting by meeting. The Fed statement did hint at more hikes to come, saying the Federal Market Committee, which sets rates, is, quote, determining the extent of additional policy firming that may be appropriate. So kind of leaning that way after the statement and the presser, the futures market traded with a 22 percent probability of a hike in September and 38 percent of a probability of a hike in November. A sign the market believes if the Fed is going to hike, it's likely to skip a meeting again. On the plus side, Powell spoke pretty confidently about the chance of a soft landing for the U.S. economy. Consistent with having a soft landing, you would, you would have some softening in, in labor market conditions. And that's still likely as we, as we go forward with this process. But it's, it's a good thing to date that we haven't, we, we haven't really seen it. All right. The next critical steps now, as Powell said, two inflation reports, two jobs reports before the Fed has to make up its mind again about what it's going to do next. And of course, guys, there's that speech next month by the chair in Jackson Hole, which we'll all be listening to. Very, very closely. Steve, thank you. Steve Leesman in Washington for us. Um, Michael Kantopoulos, every meeting is live. Uh, you know, it's funny because I feel like Chair Powell, I, I, could identi- I could totally identify with him today. When you talk to a small child, like a three-year-old <laughs> child, just for instance, and you say, you're not watching TV today, and the child says, oh, maybe I'll watch in five minutes. No, you're not watching TV today. Every meeting is live. They're going to look at every single data point at every single meeting. He said that over and over and over again. Yeah. Did we finally absorb that? I'm not sure, Melissa. I mean, my, my three-year-old doesn't start with five minutes usually. He starts <laughs> with like maybe one minute. But um, listen, I, I think Steve said it very, very well, right, in terms of offering little guidance. I mean, he kind of told us a lot without telling us anything. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what do we know? We know they might hike, they might skip, they might pause, but we also know they're not going to cut, right? And I think that's a big message because I think when we think about a pivot and what does a pivot actually mean, a pivot means cutting. It doesn't mean holding rates at five and a half percent for the next three, six, nine, twelve months. But that's also a good thing. You know, I, I think uh, Guy said this earlier with regards to Microsoft and Meta and the difference between you know the reactions uh, in the last two days. We can now focus on fundamentals a little bit more. You know, we know that the Fed is not going to rush to put us into a recession. Mm-hmm. That might ultimately be the end goal, but that could be a year from now. It could be two years from now. Who knows? Um, but I think actually this is a, a pretty healthy development for for the markets. Is the market is the S and P 500 at 4,500 and yeah. change? Is that reflective of this notion? of higher for longer, that there are no cuts on the horizon here? Um, and what sort of sectors do you go to in that environment? So in a rising rate environment, we're always told that you don't invest in tech. But our tech is large cap tech who doesn't, who, who they do not need to borrow money. So they have cash rich balance sheets. So that's where fooled the whole market, everyone got out of tech, and then we had to run right back into tech. The market went from peak to trough, and then the retracement is at 76%. We've never had a retracement of 76% from peak to trough and not made a new high. Mm -hmm. So the market looks like it's going to take out the old highs that we've had in the S&P. Really? So everyone gets a little off balance on this because you're right to be off balance. We should have sold off. Didn't. Now we retrace. Now what do you do? So to Michael's point, I don't think the market, the market is not going to worry about fundamentals just yet. The market's going to worry about momentum. Momentum is still on the bull side. You're going to keep trading this market higher until it hits a wall. And yes, there's going to be down 2% days. It's going to be down 3% days. But what happens on those days? You keep buying the market and what gets bought and tech gets bought. But now value is actually starting to get bought as well. I mean, another interesting part of this whole thing is Bank of America just pointed out yesterday that the cost to protect is its lowest since they've been keeping records. 2008, I mean, it's so cheap. Volatility is sub-14, Tim. So that's another factor in this whole thing. It, it is. And if you think about this 13 days in a row for, for the Dow, it, it's, you know, it's really about industrials and companies that I think actually uh, have been de-risked. Look at the banks, look at the KRE. Uh, by the way, Q, the, the, the bearish you know, comment that we know that that was 1987. We know what happened in 87. Uh, apples and, and oranges here. I, I, I look at the Fed today. It, it, you can't say it was a non-event. And Michael's right to point out what, uh, what, what we know and what they didn't say. Um, but but I think the dynamic here is uh, you did see the dollar weaken. So the S&P traded up 25 handles, down 35. Basically, it was a non-event. Um, the, the dollar traded down. And, and I think uh, that also is supportive to credit. If, if we were concerned that, you know, that the Fed was going to be overly aggressive and one day it is not a, a view and a structural call make. But I think you watch the dollar here. I think the dollar is going to continue to weaken. It's not going to happen overnight. Uh, and it already has weakened somewhat. But I think uh, the, the message for markets here is that you are getting the kind of breadth that is telling you something. Uh, and it's telling you that at least from a credit perspective, you've de-risked this market a bit. For more on the Fed's decisions impacts, let's bring in Terry Duffy, the CME Group's chairman and CEO. His company reported earnings before the bell this morning, beating estimates for both revenues and earnings. Terry, it's always great to see you. Thank you, Melissa. Appreciate you having me. We appreciate uh, you watching us every night. 
Uh, Terry, you know, I want to get your reaction <laughs> to what the Fed, the Fed has done. We know you do because you email us constantly um, <laughs> to what the Fed has done in the context of this market. I mean, does this all make sense uh, in your mind? The levels we are at the markets, the valuations we are at, the huge gains in technology with the backdrop that rates will stay higher for longer and could even go higher from here. Yeah, here, I, Melissa, I think it's clear as mud. And everybody that I've known over the last several years that talked about interest rates has been absolutely wrong. Everybody said the Fed would raise 25 <laughs> basis points, 50 basis points, 100 basis points, and stop. And if you managed your risk, and that's what I do. I manage risk here at CME Group. And if you would have managed your risk based on what you thought the Fed was going to do or not be doing, you would be out of business like we've seen a lot of the smaller banks. And we saw another one today with PacWest going to be sold. So people need to manage risk. It's really hard to predict what the Fed is ultimately going to do. I think it's one of the reoccurring themes that I keep hearing you know, from some of the pundits, not just on your show, but others, is that, you know, the verdict is still out on what is going to happen, whether inflation is going to be under control, whether it's not going to be under control. And I think those three words, verdict is still out, or four words, I should say, is critically important. And people need to manage that risk because margins are thin. So I don't know ultimately what it means other than everybody that I've talked to over the last year has been dead wrong when it comes to what the Fed was going to do. And whether there's going to be a soft landing or not, I think the Fed's done a pretty good job of threading the needle to where we're at today when he was bold enough to make a comment that he doesn't see a recession because I think a lot of us you know, in the business thought we're gonna see a recession over the last 12 to 18 months for sure, and we still has not materialized. So I think he's done a lot of good at the same time, but boy, if you're gonna try to sit around and try to make a prediction. Sometimes it's better instead of talking to markets, you should listen to the market. So they'll tell you what they want to do. So what are you hearing in terms of the activity and the various products that you offer? Um, you know, we're reading constantly well, about zero day date expiration options, the popularity, how, yeah. you know, the number of those exceed the number of S&P 500 options on any single day. I mean, it's, it's just staggering. Um, so how does your market view get reflected in your business? Well, here, zero-dated options, you know, we, we all list these short-term options and they trade on, like, so at SIBO, they trade and they, they uh, expire into cash. At CME Group, they, they trade and they expire into a futures contract and you have to take delivery. So that's the only difference. So some of the retail will go more focusing on the, the trade over at SIBO as it relates to the delivered into cash. But, you know, listen, our options portfolio in our business goes out multiple quarters into multiple years. And the, the beauty of CME Group is, you know, that, that's a small percent of the bigger part of our business, which is futures trading. And nobody else has that, Melissa, as you know. So we're the largest futures exchange in the world, and we have a growing options business on top of it. For me, it's a win-win for CME Group. We continue to manage it. Others don't have what we do as it relates to some of the product mixes we have. Terry, typically in our world, when you're early, you're wrong. But you've been ahead of so many different things. And in October, I think it was Halloween of 2021, you announced that deal with Google. Ten-year deal, cloud infrastructure. I think a lot of people said, what does Terry Duffy see that we don't? And now here in July of 23, AI, all those things, markets. I mean, you're sort of at the forefront. Maybe speak to that integration and now what that means to markets, because I think you're really positioned well for this. Well, Guy, I appreciate that. And we did see a lot of things with Google and the cloud. 
and, and, and I'm extremely pleased to say that we've moved many applications from market data applications to clearing applications into the cloud, and we're progressing right along. But one of the things you touched on, and I know everybody's touching on AI, but we're learning so much about AI and machine learning with our partners at Google, and that is doing wonders for us to see how the market's going to look in the future. I don't know how much artificial intelligence is going to take place into the market. So how much of these inputs are going to go into people's algorithms today, and how much are they going to go into them tomorrow? Is it going to be good or is it going to be bad? How is market structure going to be affected by this? I will say one thing. We'll be at the forefront of any change that's happening. I do think it's going to change. I hope for the better. I believe it's going to be for the better. But this is an interesting time. And I know you guys talk about AI a lot, and you're probably sick of talking about it. But in the markets themselves, in the market structure, we have not talked about AI, and I think there's going to be a lot of conversation in the next couple of years as it relates to that part of the business. So in the con you know, when we talk about AI, we're mostly talking, Terry, about the spending ramp associated with AI that needs right. to happen. Do you see that just underway in the financial services industry? Is it just underway at CME Group? Well, we, yes, I think it is just underway, and I don't think we've scratched the surface in the financial services yet. As Guy said, we came up with this transaction with Google uh, a little over a couple of years ago on Halloween, and we are just putting our applications in there. We have not even gotten our markets into the cloud yet, Melissa. We're hoping to have that done in the next year or two. And once we do that, we're going to see how the different artificial intelligence, with, along with the machine learning, feeding these artificial intelligence, how the markets react to them. And I think it's going to be a fascinating time. Change is always difficult, but hopefully change brings efficiencies to the marketplace and lets more and more people participate in a way that makes sense for them to mitigate and manage their risk. So really exciting times as it relates to the markets with AI. Terry, always great to see you. Thanks, Melissa. Appreciate it very much, you and your team. Thank you. Thank you. Terry Duffy, CME. Tim? Well, Terry says listen to the markets because, you know, everything else is, is maybe wrong or it's impossible or it's clear as mud, I think, is his quote. And, and I agree with that. And, I, and, and also, you know, Terry and the futures markets have also had a, a front row seat on positioning. Um, we're at a place now where positioning for markets is very different than it was at the start of the year. Um, sentiment is very different. And, and I think that's what we need to be listening to. I think markets have come uh, an extraordinarily long way. And, and I think we're at a place here where, uh, you know, maybe the, the, the argument that people, the risk was to the upside because this was the pain trade. This is something we should be thinking about maybe the other way. I, th I think we're getting to a place here where markets need to pause. Uh, we really are waiting to see the impact of the Fed. Uh, you know, I, Tim, I think from, from my perspective, I'd maybe take a little bit of a different, different view. You know, I would say listen to, to the profit story, listen to profits growth. I mean, to go back to the earlier conversation of the companies we discussed in the first part of the segment, this was about earnings growth, right? That's what you buy when you buy a company. You're buying earnings growth. And so, you know, I, you, you can play momentum, of course, um, and that's a strategy. But I think for, you know, longer term returns and growing wealth over time, you've got to follow the profit story, not necessarily the markets, because the markets do get things wrong, you know. And, and if you follow the markets, you know, instead of fundamentals, you know, that's, that could be a, a slippery slope. Coming up, a burrito bummer. Oh. 
Major move lower in Chipotle after hours will bring you the very latest behind this drop. And is the red carpet rally officially over for Netflix? One of our traders thinks so. He'll tell us why he sees a blockbuster breakdown coming. More Fast Money in two. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. An earnings alert on Chipotle. Shares tumbling after posting a Q2 revenue miss. The company also posted a slight miss on same-store sales. Kate Rogers is here to take us inside the numbers. Kate. Hi, Melissa. A mixed quarter for Chipotle. As you mentioned, beat on EPS, slight miss on revenues in the quarter. Same store sales, also a slight miss at 7.4% versus the 7.5% estimated by analysts. Restaurant level operating margin, 27.5%. This actually expanded 2.3 percentage points over the last year. Also a slight beat. Food and packaging costs as of percentage of revenues down year on year. That was due in part to lower avocado prices, which is good news, of course, for Chipotle. Digital sales also 38% of food and beverage revenues in the quarter. Now, on the earnings call, CEO Brian Nickel talked about restaurant operations and ensuring proper resources are being deployed for in-store and digital sales during peak times. He says there's room to continue to grow traffic for the business. He also said Chicken Al Pastor, one of their limited time offerings, has the highest positive social sentiment of any new menu introduction and said it was included in every one out of five transactions. Now, moving on to guidance, the company sees Q3 same-store sales up low to mid single digits versus 5.9% estimated and sees full year same store sales up mid to high single digits versus up 7.5% estimated there. And as you said, the stock was down around 9% last I looked. Back over to you. All right, Kate. Thank you, Kate Rogers. Now, normally at this time when Mm. CMG reports (laughs) a good quarter with good guidance, the stock is up and we like to call it burrito blowout. In this case, it is burrito breakdown. Um, blowouts work both fine. ways, Melms. I, I, mean, I, I, I said to you, isn't blowout <laughs> bad? Yeah, in it could real be life. good or bad. I mean, I'm just saying it depends really on the situation you're currently in. In this case, it's not particularly no, good. It's not good. So let's talk about it. I think this was one of those things where comps came in light. And when I say light, 7.4%, the street was at 7.5%. It's like sell first, ask questions later, slowing growth. It doesn't deserve the multiple. I totally understand why it's selling off. 
Margins were better. It's still probably one of the best-run restaurants out there, fast food, whatever you want to call it. It's at the top of the list. Valuation is concerned if comps are going to come down. However, this level, 1900-ish, this is where we topped, made an all-time high back in like the fall, December of 2021. So this is a logical place for it to stop. Now, this is just one quarter. If this is now a trend in terms of comps, then I'll be concerned. I'm not all that concerned yet. You also wonder at what point do consumers start pushing back? They exacted a lot of price increase, price hikes on the menu. We see costs are coming down. Pressures in the consumer are mounting in terms of their credit costs. Credit and in the recent past, a lot of their revenue beat has been on price increases. So to your point, you could be hitting a wall. They like to expand stores at a rate of 8 to 10%. And they, their new stores are going to have a Chipotle lane, which is a drive-through. So I think that's, that, that all works for the different environments that they're going to be conducting business in. But I think you give it a little bit of time to breathe here. At a stock that's over $2,000, I think you're going to hear about a stock split. They, they've, re, they've, they've said they don't have any interest in a stock split in the past. Mm-hmm. But maybe when you start hitting some pricing issues, you have to start making some of the retail audience, some of the institutional audience get more interested in your name. That could be an opportunity. But I think to Guy's point, let it breathe. Maybe we could ratchet up a bit uh, in the future. Margins always look good on this one. But how much is coming from price increase? We're going to find out. Coming up, the king of stream. Mm. Is it losing steam? Netflix is down nearly 12% since reporting earnings last week. And the red carpet reversal has one of our traders at his breaking point. And we are dialed into the meta earnings call. We'll get all the latest headlines with Gene Munster coming up. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's been a steady decline for Netflix since earnings last week. The stock down four of the last five sessions, while password sharing crackdowns have helped boost the stock this year. One of our traders thinks the best may be behind us. That one person is Tim Seymour. Tim, what'd you do with it? You got rid of it, right? I, I, look, I've been long Netflix uh, for, a, I don't know, a year and a half. And, and I, I feel as if you know, I've seen the downside of where we've been estimating subgrowth. And this really is a case where I think we've priced in a tremendous amount and appropriately so uh, from the password sharing crackdown and, and even the monetization uplift that I think we're going to get over the next few quarters. Uh, this is a valuation story. It's not that, you know, on the charts it hit 480, which used to be support. And I do think um, there's some resistance there. And I do think there's some dynamics here as we as we get into into the fall that, that that have me a bit concerned for overall for the sector but this is 28 times forward it's not terribly cheap there's nothing wrong here uh, I, all the reasons why I was long Netflix I think are reasons to be long in the future and, and so to me this is about a lot of things that slowly I've been uh, either you know fading taking profits on selling upside calls on um, half of this position was an upside call uh, that got called away and, and I think you know at this point uh, I'm very happy taking some profits but it's really about I think I can own this cheaper and I think I will yeah I mean you know this reminds me a little bit of the conversation that Steve had earlier about tech and the fortress balance sheets and the lack of debt 
um, and how higher rates just don't really affect tech as much because of that. But, but I would also maybe say the flip side also holds true, which is the valuation side is actually heavily influenced by rates, right? Because you're discounting those future cash flows. And so, you know, when I look at any sort of growth company out there, I think the big thing to think about is how are higher rates ultimately going to affect the multiple here? And if rates aren't going down, then multiples most likely need to shrink, particularly if the earnings growth just isn't there for it. You know, this is a stock where I had felt that they were a little bit over their skis with the password sharing, but I was a little bit early on that call. It still had a little bit of a run up to it. So I agree. I think Tim's going to have a chance to buy this thing probably all the way down to like a 350 number on it, which is a dramatic move from now. But having said all that, they've been the best uh, uh, strategy out of all of the streaming plays. They've been the only one who has been able to hit the ball out of the park. They had a break, a crackdown on the password sharing. That was the next obvious thing for them to do. That only gets you so far. And let's see where they are with, with uh, content because it seems like everything else is a disaster in the place. So people might have to pull their money back off the table, see where the chips lie, and they probably wind up back with Netflix. But it's all about programs. It's ad, all about content. Ad spending is supposed to be higher in the back half, according to what we've heard so far. I mean, that should be good. And yeah. Netflix is at a better position in terms of content versus its, its uh, competitor. No, and Tim's talking about a trade here, and I think he did it right. masterfully. I mean, it would have been great to sell it today, trade up to 485, but nobody sells the highs, regardless of what you seem to hear on a daily basis. But this is a level now, I, where am I going to get back in? I think Steve's level is right. Somewhere between 350 and 375, which if you go back and look, from sort of the fall of 21 into that February level. That's the first place we briefly stopped was sort of 365, 370. So if you're looking to get back in, that's a great entry point. Coming up, we're diving back into Meta Earnings with Gene Munster. He's got all the threads from the company's call next. Plus, this week's monster slate of earnings isn't over yet. Why option traders are betting on this mystery chip maker to make major waves. Fast Money's back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks taking big swings after the Fed decision, but closing the day virtually flat. The Dow up 82 points to lock in a 13th straight day of gains. The S&P barely negative, while the Nasdaq dipping a tenth of a percent. Take a look at the regional banks. The KRE ETF soaring nearly 5%, its best day since early June. And the Dow Transports up 3%, its best day since February. That index at its highest level since March of 2022. And a look at some other post-earnings movers after the close. eBay and ServiceNow both lower. Uh, Mattel recouping some of its earlier losses after its results. Let's get back to Meta Earnings Beat. Uh, the stock is up over 6% after hours. Fast Money friend Gene Munzer has been listening into the call. He's the managing partner at Deepwater Asset Management. Uh, Gene, what stands out to you so far? Uh, Melissa, the pros outweigh the cons. I'll quickly hit the pros from the call is that September 27th, mark your calendars at Meta Connect, they're gonna announce some AI products. These are related to the creative economy, basically helping you create more Instagram content and also related to the metaverse. Additionally, they will have AI products related to agents. These are for customer support people, getting more into the business side, something new for Meta. Second pro was Zuckerberg said that they are still in the year of efficiency. He talked about the Threads team uh, coming up to speed with relatively low investment and delivering a product that's had great engagement. And so investors have uh, seen that as a positive. You saw the stock move up a couple percent after those two pieces. Just quickly hitting the cons is that they're pretty clear. 
they don't know how much these products are going to, the speed that they're going to be, uh, the uptake will, and they don't know how much they're going to have to invest and left the door wide open for expenses to go up potentially dramatically next year related to infrastructure. He just basically punted the question about what that really is going to look like. And here is the uh, ultimately the question that I'm trying to sort through is you have Zuckerberg talking about this being the year of efficiency, but yet their expenses for September went up by a couple percent relative to expectations, and they left the door wide open for next year for expenses to ramp further, and the stock still goes higher. And I think the conclusion is this. Investors have moved on uh, past the year of efficiency. They want growth. They're not as worried about the broader macro, and it is. Uh, I think we're seeing the stock reaction as evidence that the meta story now is fully about AI growth. Yeah, I mean, investors are looking past a whole lot from what you're telling us, Gene, and, and just you know, compare this to, to Microsoft, which sort of indicated that it's going to be a gradual ramp in terms of AI revenues in 2024, which is disappointing to the street. They wanted something a little bit more concrete, a little bit sooner. And we're sort of getting the same messaging from Meta in terms of the uncertainty of that ramp to revenue. So what does, what does that tell you, the difference in the reaction, the reception of, you know, on some levels, similar outlooks for AI and the impact on revenue? The difference is the degree that Microsoft has talked about these opportunities over the last six months has been mm. almost deafening. And in the case of Meta, it's been uh, a little bit vague. We heard a little bit at their annual uh, stockholders meeting in May from Zuckerberg on it, but it's been pretty uh, cryptic about what that is. And so I think just the nod from management that they believe in AI, uh, I think you, uh, I think that's the difference. I think that's why investors are seeing this as a, uh, ultimately a positive. All right, Gene, jump back on the call. We appreciate your take on this Thank so you. far. Gene Munster, Deepwater Asset Management. Tim, um, your take on what you heard from Gene. It sounds like there are a lot of big question marks, and yet the stock goes higher after hours. Yeah, but again, it's it's from the year efficiency to the year of growth. And, and that's why the, the stock has moved really since above 300, really from 280, whatever you want to call it. But at a multiple that, that makes more sense than, than some of the peer group. And, and if you think about some of the dynamics, it, it's, it's less about the efficiency. It's that Zuckerberg has relatively gracefully come in off the ledge on the metaverse. Um, they have a cash cow business in, in terms of uh, their core advertising business that has a lot of cyclicality in it that I think was overly punished in the in the start of this downward move for markets. And I think, you know, the comps are pretty interesting here. I don't think they're going to grow at 20 percent a year uh, until we really see some kind of an AI inflection that I'm not sure is even priced into the stock. But but I, I, I think Meta is a stock that um, first of all, there's, there's a lot of investors. There, there is, uh, I think, you know, 80% of the streets uh, got a buy on the stock. There are upward revisions coming. And, and I think this is a stock that, that on risk reward is a lot more interesting. And it's not necessarily um, playing uh, as much on the com as you might be even at Microsoft and, in, and maybe even an NVIDIA in AI. In other words, Facebook's core business, and I said it again, I mean, it's Facebook, they, their, their business is, is, is definitely exposed to AI and they have benefits now and the addressable market growth for, for reals, I think, is, is going to happen. If you look at Facebook into the fall of 2021, the, it was lower left, upper right. There was no stopping the stock until they stopped themselves. And they seemingly got away from their core business and talked about the spend and the metaverse. The market freaked out, sold first, asked questions later. Nobody understood it. Facebook couldn't explain it. Now they're seemingly their core business is back and never really left. 
They're back on stable footing. They're talking about the same things they talked about a couple years ago, but I think the market now understands what they're attempting to do. I think that's the difference, and I think that's why the stock can continue to go higher. Just to give uh, technicals on this, and, and Guy would probably agree with this, it, it had a pretty good lead up to earnings. You have the stock sell off from about $318 down about 288. So if you're waiting to get back in, you might think, oh my gosh, did I just miss something here? Wait till it pops above 300, wait till it holds above 300. It's actually 305 that you wanna wait for, but don't rush into it now. Wait a couple of days and see how it clears out. All right, uh, Meta shares up almost 7% after hours. Coming up, more earnings. We are rounding up the reports from before the bell, Boeing, Coke, and Union Pacific. That's next in a spotlight on Intel. Option traders are buzzing ahead of this report. We'll tell you why. Don't go anywhere. Back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. It was another busy morning of earnings before the bell, too. So let's start off with Boeing. The aerospace giant surging nearly 9% after posting a narrower than expected loss in Q2. Commercial jet orders and deliveries picking up, but more charges in the defense business weighing on results still. Boeing posted its highest close since November of 2021. Guy. Yeah, Tim talks about this, talking about a free cash flow story. That's true. And we talked about this a month and a half ago when you got those bad headlines. Philip Bow came on. We talked about it. The stock didn't go anywhere. And we said for the first time in a while, the stock didn't sell off on headline news. That was a good sign. And it's continued to be. So still feels like, you know, you can talk about valuation, I'm sure. But it still feels like it wants to go higher from here. You know, if you go back to the February 2020 collapse during the pandemic, if you go peak to trough on that one, we're almost or we're a little bit above the 50 percent retracement in Boeing on a on a stock price. So this should be, in theory, where the stock takes a break. But they have such an outsized you're leading. You talk about government spend. Mm -hmm. They make such an outsized percentage of their revenue from the government spend. And I think that's not going to um, be pulled back. So I'd be willing to see if this has a little bit more legs to, to ratchet higher. All right. Up next, Coca-Cola shares popping more than a percent after beating at the top and the bottom lines. Also raising full year EPS and revenue outlook. Still, CEO James Quincy warning investors that some customers are trading down to cheaper private label drinks, putting pressure on the beverage giant's profit margins. And Michael, this is really the, the question. At what point do consumers start pushing back? We're starting to see that. I think we are starting to see it, Melissa. Um, you know, listen, you can only take so much. If you look at the bottom third of income earners in the United States, they're, they're not in a great position right now, given uh, earnings growth that really hasn't kept up with inflation, a drawdown of savings. And so, you know, I don't think companies are going to be able to get away with it with, with this much more. And ultimately, that could that could hurt margins. But, um, you know, I think we're pretty much hitting that breaking point as we speak. Yeah, Tim. Well, Coke, again, they, they, they beat and they raised, as you said, a percentage point. Mm -hmm. It's been an extraordinary run for a company that no one said had any growth. And, and it's been top line driven. It's been pricing driven. I, I think of Coke versus Pepsi. Uh, I, I take Coke over Pepsi just based upon the, the core business. Pepsi's been crushing it on their snack business. Uh, multiple Coke makes more sense to me. All right. Finally, Union Pacific having its best day since March 2020. The railroad posting a mixed quarter, but the announcement of CEO transition sending shares 10 percent higher. Industry veteran and former COO Jim Vena will succeed the current CEO Lance Fritz next month. The stock is at its highest since last August. Guy. It is. But this is a stock that if you overlay a CSX chart with a UNP chart, you will see the underperformance of Union Pacific until obviously today. But it still has some ways to go. So where CSX was making all-time high seemingly a month and a half or so ago. UNP was floundering. Now it's starting to catch up better in line with valuations that make sense. 
But in the game of Would You Rather, oh, I just you did it would you rather. Because, because why not? Because Steve hasn't do done it yet because I knew he was about to. I got yelled at the last time I was on the show, so I, w- I had no intention of doing anywhere close. So I'm glad that you did it. Uh, UNP on yeah, a, on see? A, he just did it. What did I say? What did I say? He's right. Oh. Yeah. What should I have said? No. no. Oh. <laughs> do what you do, Grasso. Okay. What do you think? Um... I'm frozen. I, 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 on a chart, this is where the stuff. I don't like buying headlines when you have change in, in management mm-hmm. because they're always fleeting. It's always a retracement back off it. So I, this would be a no touch. On a chart for me, this is right where it should stop anyway. So I would wait on this one. All right. Coming up, the Intel on Intel. The chipmaker reporting after the bell tomorrow. Can it keep up the pace in the AI race? We are breaking down the big bets in the options pits right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. This week's huge slate of earnings isn't over yet. CNBC parent company Comcast, McDonald's, and Intel highlight tomorrow's calendar. And the options market is betting on a major move for one of these names. Kelly Intelligence CEO Kevin Kelly joins us with the action on Intel. Kevin. Hi, Melissa. Well, today we saw 1.73 times the amount of calls versus puts in Intel. And heading into earnings, you're seeing an implied move of about 6.5%, which is actually less than the 7.5% we've seen over the last eight quarters. The interesting part was this morning, we saw a big block of 20,000 contracts all the way out in October trade at the $27 strike. So it's deep in the money. It was priced around $7.65. So you're, you're seeing this could be a potential stock replacement strategy over the next several months. All right, Kevin, thanks. Kevin Kelly, Guy? Their data center's been a disaster. We talk about it seemingly every quarter. It's had a huge run. I mean, this was a $25 stock, what, beginning of the year? $35 now. It's just basically dragged up by the rest of the group. But I think, once again, my opinion, if I'm wrong, trust me, I'll say it, but they will prove how outclassed they are in the semi-space. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, Final Trades. Welcome back to New Fast Money Podcast. Making of the Meme King is now live. Taking a look inside the unorthodox career of Ryan Cohen. You can listen by following the Fast Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. Yes, Citibank, like Carlos Rodon, has really struggled. But I think unlike Rodon, Citibank's about to break out here, get back above those SVB levels. Banks today, you heard the story from the Fed, and the short term can rally. Mets for the sweep. Steve. Rivian, I am not in it currently, but it had an impressive day. Spiked higher, middle of the day, and I think there's probably more to follow into earnings in August. Michael Kontopoulos of RBA. Well, I'm not going to be too specific here, but I am going to say, what, 70% of this year's rally is coming from maybe seven or eight names. I think you got to play broadening out of this rally. Energy, PSX and earnings early August, Melms. All right, thank you, Michael, for joining us. Thanks for watching Fast Money. Matt Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries 
series warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.